Hello. Welcome to Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking Killing me. me. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Um, we're so excited for you guys to be back. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, first things first, there is a wonderful show happening in Toronto. Mm-hmm. It's been happening for two weeks. Yes. And we only have one week left for you to go see it. It's called Now You See Her by Quote Unquote Collective. It runs until November for, November 4th. Yes. And it's definitely a show not to be missed. Yeah. If you have been listening to us for a while, Raha Javanfar, one of our friends and guests, is actually performing in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my partner and I went and saw it last weekend. And the only thing I'm going to tell you about it is that Andre looked over to me when it was done and said, because it was pay what you can at the door. And he goes, we didn't pay enough money. <laughs> we, we did not. Yeah. Because it was so good. We felt like we didn't pay enough money at the door to see it. Right. So, um, it's probably going to get a Dora. I think it will. <laughs> um, it'll probably get another one. So don't miss seeing it. You guys. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Multidisciplinary. Everybody's lovely. Uh, the performance is great. It's, an hour and a half. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 So don't miss out. Get your tickets. I'm going to be going this week. Corinne went last week. It's going to be dope. Yep. Um, this week on the podcast, we have the lovely Aria Evans, who mm-hmm. we got to know. Dancer, choreographer. Yeah. Multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Super lovely. We t- chat about some really great things. She talks about funding as a person um, of color. Yeah. And how she like makes work and how she chooses to make work. And she talks about everything. She comes about, talks about growing up in BC. Yeah. It's going to be great. Let's get started. Here we go. Uh, My name is Aria Evans. I grew up on the West coast in Victoria, British Columbia. I came to Toronto in 2008 and attended York university. I in that degree, found my way into the film side of dance and have continued to pursue that in my professional career. I founded my company, The Go-To Company, in 2015 out of a desire to make work that was socially and politically engaged. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to www.gotocompany.org. Perfect. Great. In retrospect, I think I would have preferred to do my master's than my bachelor of fine arts there. But right. there were things that I also gained that I wouldn't have been able to get if I hadn't been there. Like film was something that I found because of that degree, which right. I am so grateful for having that in my life mm-hmm. now. But yeah, there were problems. Were you? Are you from Toronto originally? No, I grew up um, on the West Coast. Vancouver Island, Victoria, BC. Um, So you must have felt really at home in the mountains. I love the mountains. It was interesting because I was working with a friend who's from the prairies and we were talking about like, I was like, oh, like the mountains make me feel at home and I love being able to like look up at architecture and feel like I'm insignificant or humbled or like small in some way and like, I feel really comfortable here. And she's like, oh, I feel really claustrophobic in the mountains. And for me, like, mm. I had to imagine what the horizon looked like when oh. I was a kid. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I, yeah, just how land and, like, our surroundings influence, yeah, what we're interested in, how we feel in different spaces. It's like, I would never imagine feeling claustrophobic amongst, no. amongst mountains. And I would find it challenging to, like, imagine a horizon in a prairie right right I mean I never being from the prairies Mm -hmm. I never found I never had that experience that she did with the mountains making her feel making me feel claustrophobic um I think I just like felt something different like it was a different I also don't think I really appreciated the prairies until Mm. until you live in like a city yeah, yeah, there's space. Like, there's space between the things. stars. Like, I grew up with that in my backyard. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very weird not being able to, like, see the sky at night. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Alberta. Okay. Yeah. So similar, like, mm-hmm. mountain yeah. landscapes. Yeah. Oh, I had the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, BC was great. Like, I, I essentially left as soon as I could. I came to Toronto for university because 
I wanted to get as far away from my family as I could. <laughs> but I also, like, at the time, I was like, oh, maybe I can do a double major. Maybe I can do kinesiology and dance at the same time. Because my mom was always like, you need a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, an easy idea of what a backup plan could be. But in my first year, I, um, in anatomy, I you had the the choice to, like, take two exams throughout the year and have your grade be split between two to take three exams between the year and have your oh. grade be split between three or to just do one exam and that was your grade. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do that one exam. No, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't study and I ended up just like drawing patterns on my Scantron <laughs> sheet. I passed. I got oh. a D plus. Um, D's get degrees. Yeah. Ooh. And it was bad. It was, it was bad. <laughs> and I was just like, well, clearly kinesiology isn't for me, mm-hmm. but I mean, in my, like in second and third year, Donna Krasnow did kinesiology mm-hmm. and I was like actually interested in that cause she was a great teacher, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It all depends. Did you, why did you go to Toronto instead of Vancouver? I think, I think it was the program. Like I thought that York University was kind of the only place that had kinesiology and dance. Oh, okay. And Before University of Calgary. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Vancouver wasn't far enough away. Like, I... Mm-hmm. I feel that. Yeah. I was quite sheltered by my mom. My mom was a single mom, and I kind of just needed space from her. I wanted to figure out who I was on my own, even though, like, moving into residence and, like, living with a roommate is not really, oh. like, finding out who you are on your own, but... <laughs> That's where I'm at now, finding out who I am on my own. 29, <laughs> 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's an interesting city. I remember even just, like, stepping out of the plane and realizing for the first time, like, Victoria, B.C. is quite white. Like, my half of my family is British, and that was kind of, like, what Victoria was. It was a lot of... British people Mm -hmm. that were living there and I just remember like walking off of the plane and like walking down the streets of Toronto and seeing like true multiculturalism for the first time and I was like oh my gosh like I can see myself in the people on these streets like Mm -hmm. I feel like I maybe belong here and that there's a place for me I can blend in in a way that I always felt like I stood out when I walked down the streets of my small town yeah Mm -hmm. and that's something that also has kept me here the fact that like I don't know, there's there's an anonymousness to the city that I'm really interested in. In terms of that you can walk down the street and, like, blend yeah. in more? Yeah, yeah. you can kind of blend in. Yeah. And then, like, stand up on stage and stand out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How big is Victoria? I don't know how many, like, what the population is, but it's small. Like, you can drive from one end of the city to the other end in about... 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So you like, if you go grocery shopping, you're going to always run into somebody, you know, or somebody yeah. that's a friend of a friend. And yeah, like it's, it's a small city. I wouldn't call it like a town, but yeah, it feels, it feels intimate. Like mm-hmm. it feels like you'd run into people no matter where. Actually, anytime I go home, I like run into somebody and I'm just like, Oh, wow. <laughs> like I, one of the things I struggle with when I go back home because my town is super small. Yeah. Like 1,500 people. Whoa. Yeah. And I like, I don't like leaving the house because sometimes I just don't want to make small talk with people. Like I really, like I care about those people because I grew up in that town and they, like they helped me, like shaped who I was growing up. But I just don't want to constantly explain myself. Yeah, and also like, oh, when are you moving back? Yeah, You're like, do or what like, I need to. Yeah, <laughs> or it's like constantly like, oh, how's the big city girl? I'm like, I just right. don't. Also, you don't have time to see everybody that you feel the pressures to see. Yeah, and, like, and still feel relaxed and see my yeah. family. Because like, I'll go home and I'll walk into like out for restaurant with my family and then I'll get messages from people and be yeah. like oh I hear you're in town weird like, <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. I've like become less and less connected I think with that community like yeah. my mom too she doesn't live there anymore oh, so okay. like I do still have family there but when I visit her it's usually not where I grew up so it's interesting like 
there's less and less reasons to go home. Mm -hmm. But then when I think about this idea of like, what is home? Where is home? That's a whole other thing. Cause now, because I've lived in Toronto for 10 years, I'm like, isn't this my home now? Yeah. We just made a dance film about that exact thing. Or like at what point, if you've lived somewhere else longer than where you grew up is where you grew up still home. Right. You know, or if you never felt connected to that place, if you didn't enjoy living there, but it's where you were born or where your parents are, why do you still call it home? Yeah. Or why do you like feel pressure to call it home? Yeah. It's just Mm -hmm. an interesting thing. I mean, I will say that there is a part of me that likes being able to say that I'm from the West Coast Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) as opposed to like, I'm a Torontonian. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why that is. I also had two strikes while I was there. Two strikes? Two. Oh, and they can't do that anymore. They can only do it every three years, four years. Jesus Christ. Why is New York constantly striking? It's like so liberal. <laughs> so liberal. That's like the best way to say it, right? Yeah. yeah. They run off of a like uh, corporate business model instead of a like what's best for the people that are here motto. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> It's a numbers game. Yeah. New York. For sure. So I feel like just different air in there compared to like if you go into like one of the old buildings in Ryerson or mm. someplace like TDT who's got so much history. It's just all take more people, produce more graduates. It feels like. Make more money. Yeah. Take more so money. So because of that, there are some like wonderful, I mean like we're year living proof, wonderful artists coming out of that university like you know there's Oriya, like Denise like those artists are all doing great things but I think there's also a lot that we're probably with them that aren't yeah I think <laughs> you know in my class of like 60 graduating students three of us are working in the community yeah which is insane yeah. 60 is a lot it's a lot big, that's a big, big class classes. how many yeah. graduated in your class at University of Calgary I think under 20 but CNP which is like the full Degree? Yeah. Choreography. Only, yeah. only seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that's still like. Seven or eight. Wow. But that's just because you. Like, Corinne still has. You didn't do CMP, right? No. She still has a dance degree. Yeah. Right. But she doesn't have her CMP. But it's more general. Yeah. Right. It's just like I didn't take that stream. Right. Yeah. Um, but even in my year, which is a year behind Rainey, mm-hmm. there was only 14 of us. Yeah. That's and amazing. I don't know. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how many did. There's a lot. Not saying there. I mean, there was more people than that in the class because they like combine. You yeah. Know, with like levels. Mm-hmm. But I, I think know. it was a good size. It was enough that you could like hide if you want and be mm-hmm. not hidden if you didn't want to. <laughs> um, you know? But I don't know. It's like very interesting to watch people go through art fine art degrees and then watch what they do after mm. yeah. it's okay like you can change your mind you can decide that's not for you because yeah. I'm sure people do that in other streams all the time right yeah or yeah it's just like interesting what's yeah interesting about dance is that a lot of the programs are like contemporary based mm-hmm. or ballet based and I feel like it's interesting that there's no university program that strictly develops the business ideas of going into a studio setting. York, Which, York has that, though. Oh, do they? Yeah, York has like a, a teaching stream. Oh, okay. Like a pedagogy? Yeah, teaching mm. pedagogy. And they also have, uh, like, courses where I think it's usually in the context of, like, a senior project where you create the budget and the business plan to open your dance studio. Oh, interesting. And then on it. Because I had a lot of people in my year do, do that. that. And they uh, went through the, like, dance mm-hmm. pedagogy. Yeah. But I think that's why York also has... So many. Um, maybe a, like, lower technical output because people are interested in different things. Like, mm-hmm. somebody might just want to be a teacher. Somebody might just want to be a dance therapist. Somebody might just want to be a choreographer. Yeah. That's also great, though. Because I feel like there was no other option for me at the University of right. Calgary. It was like, you're going to be a performer, you're going to be an artist, or you're going to be... And very specific nothing. type of contemporary nothing. art. It was like, <laughs> it was totally. like you could be yeah. like a contemporary dance artist. You can be like that weird vernacular old school jazz that DJD does. <laughs> right. Which is essentially what it splits in the pro- it splits the program, program. into. Yeah. yeah. Or you can just like get lost. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. So it was. But I think that's like kind of also the community that we're a part of. Like you have to make your own opportunities to survive. Yes. And yeah, it's like fight or flight. What are you going to do? Are you going to like conform to one of those ideas? Are you going to keep pushing and expanding to find your place and your voice within it? Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So are you working on that right now in the city? Like, are you trying to make your own with the go-to company? Yeah. You're kind of creating your own voice and... Yeah, I mean, I started creating work when I was really young. I was, like, 11, and I would, like, enter things in competitions because I thought it was cool. But mainly, I didn't like the stories that people were asking me to tell, and I didn't relate to the kinds of, like, experiences that I was being given to interpret. So from, like, the age of 11, I was like, I'm going to make my own dances, and I'm going (laughs) to tell my own stories. But that's been something that's kind of followed me through into now my like young adult life is this idea that I want to create a space for voices that are underrepresented in our dance form. And for me, that includes like people with different cultural backgrounds and people that like have different experiences of the world. And where can I bring those voices to a platform and onto stages so that yeah, everyone feels like they have a place and they have a voice mm-hmm. in the in the community. Um, so yeah, with the go-to company, I always say that I make like socially and politically <laughs> engaged work. And really that just comes out of my own personal interests and the experiences of the people that I bring together. Like the piece that I'm developing now that gets presented this time next year is like using the four artists that I'm working with personal experiences and like abstracting them into a narrative. I asked each of them to like choose four life events that made them who they are. And from like zero to seven, seven to 14, Mm -hmm. 14 to 22, 22 and older. And we are like starting to figure out what is the universal, universal lived experience within them. With the goal of like, I don't know, I think for me, I want to find where we all have something in common. What is our common ground? How can we relate to each other better? That's what I've always tried to do through dance is show, show people what we have in common, how we can be like a more accepting, more open community for difference. And yeah, yeah, I just want people to be able to see themselves in other people that are different from them. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really like makes you as an audience member fully engaged in a piece. Hmm. Being Is able it, to relate to something. Yeah, totally. And I yeah. think like people are looking for narrative often. Yeah. yeah. And it also like, I think encourages compassion. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. If you can't see yourself in the person in front of you or you can't find their humanity, then you have no compassion for them. You're going to look at them as if they're not a human, right. As if they're not a person. Yeah. And then it's easy to dismiss them or it's easy to be mean. Yeah. And for me, like compassion is what the world needs. So if we can like model that behavior on stage, maybe we can make the world a better place. But that's my like, we can change the world. The dance (laughs) mantra that like, it's like step by step and like kind of naive to say that. But I do believe that fundamentally that compassion is like the root to bringing people together essentially. Mm -hmm. Can we know the artists that you're working with right now? Yeah. David Norsworthy, Anna right. Groppler, Anna Groppler, uh, Irvin Chow, and Sarita Hector. I love her. Yeah. They're amazing artists. And when I work with people, I really ask them to bring parts of themselves and to be really vulnerable and to be open to having an opinion. And I work really collaboratively. So they're also like informing how the piece is coming together, which to me is so exciting. I... I think work is stronger when we have an open dialogue in rehearsal spaces. So yeah, like as the creator or the creative lead, knowing that like some of my ideas are going to get let go of and some of my ideas are going to continue to become stronger because of somebody else's opinion is like the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you performing as well or just choreographing, creating? Not in this piece. I find it really hard to be in the work that I'm making. Um, I think that 
it's harder to remove yourself from how something feels versus how something looks. Uh, when I perform in my own work, I get really caught up in like, oh, this moment like feels so good, mm-hmm. but it might not look good. Mm-hmm. Right. And like for me, considering what an audience is seeing is important. Like my work is audience driven. I want to make work for the general public. I don't necessarily want to make dance for dancers. So like finding finding sort of the aesthetic or what the dance is saying by how it looks is important. And I find, yeah, it's, it's hard to remove yourself and to not get attached to certain things when you're inside it. So having like the outside kind of view, I'm like, great. Like you can kind of, I don't know, mm-hmm. you can edit through edit yeah. things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I have like performed in one one of my works, but I brought people into the process to help me make the movement, mm-hmm. which was like so good. Cause then I didn't just like lie on the floor and cry for every rehearsal. <laughs> Cause that's how I feel. Trying to create like solo work. You do solos. <laughs> you literally just sit there and you do one thing. You're like, that was fucking stupid. So dumb. And then you're like, oh, like, I'll film this. I'll film this and I'll rewatch it. And like, yeah. I'll remount it. And then you like watch yourself and you're like, everything is awful. I hate it. That's so much self-doubt when you oh, do it for you yourself. You have to confront all of your like inner demons. I was working on a piece for actually um, a class with Natasha and nice. Patricia. <laughs> and I had to use a prop and for it, I was like, I was really interested in this idea of like, the body parts, not like similar to Mateo's idea, not seeing like the face, but also not seeing certain parts of the body and just seeing like really isolating certain parts of it. So like an elbow or like an arm or a leg. And then I was also interested in this idea of like this, like being just like coming from the stage. So it looked like it was like under the stage but cool. the body part was anyway so like the best way to like figure this out because you have like a week to develop yeah, something <laughs> you know um was like to use a sheet like a like i was just like mm-hmm. oh the black floor so i'll use a black sheet right to, like right you know and then i like started creating and i was like okay so like not only am i developing solo work i'm also developing solo work where i'm under a black <laughs> sheet and i can't fucking see what i'm creating <laughs> And I was just like sitting there like hot and sweaty from like the oh, thickness no. of the sheet and just like, ah, everything is awful. This was a terrible idea. <laughs> anyway, so that's still on the back burner to be problem solved. <laughs> get a like plastic sheet that you can see through. So you can still get the idea of like the architecture of the movement, but right. like how it moves. Yeah. And stuff. That's smart. Maybe. Yeah. One of those like plastic, the kind of like, like the painting cover. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's a good idea. Even then they're like, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll get like black sheet, black stage. Yeah. And then I walk into the rehearsal space and the floor is white. Yeah. I was like, like, (laughs) imagine you just like laying there. (laughs) Sometimes bringing in a babysitter. Like I hired my friend and at first I was like, you're my studio babysitter. But really she was like, an outside eye. Yeah. And I was just like, you just need to make sure that I do things. Like you right. just need to like hold me accountable for the time that I am spending here. Yeah. It's so like, easy not to do yeah. anything yeah. if you're by yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or to like say you're working from home, but yeah. really you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you always know it's bad when like your friends have said that they're going into the studio and you see like 10 social media posts yeah. and you're like, I think that you're not working. I think yeah. that you've opened Facebook and I'm guilty of that too. I do that just there's just like so much self doubt and like starting is hard yeah Yeah. starting something and then developing the movement and then it's just like not what you first think it's gonna be like it's like such a rock in a hard place moment yeah there's that like (laughs) cycle meme of like you start off with the idea and you really like it and then you start to doubt it and then you're like this is the worst thing I've ever made yeah you're like oh my god I should quit my job why am I doing this and then it's like oh maybe this this is okay and then it's like oh my god figured it out it's like where are you in that you're like i am here yeah (laughs) yeah every morning just wake up and self-check where you are yeah yeah i mean i've made works that never like get to the full circle where i like get to the point where i'm like this is the worst thing i've ever made and i'm like well it's going on stage so (laughs) bye Do do you feel that pressure when you receive like funding that you have to present something that's like even if you don't like love it you 
have to move through it. You have to have a product because someone has given you money. Not, okay, not so much funding, but when I'm a part of like a festival or mm. when I have a like pre presenting date mm. with a partner, that's I think when I feel the pressure to like put something out into the world. I feel like with funding, you can kind of make choices along the way and you can change your interests to align with the project however you want. That's something that I think like, especially in the way that we write grants, like it's not possible to actually write a grant four months or like even longer mm. than you started and to still do exactly what you said you were going to no, do. Like right. ideas and interests shift and like I write grants in a way that like leaves room for that project to kind of like reshape itself mm -hmm. when I maybe, maybe <laughs> get the money. Um, but definitely like say summer works is like, great. I'm going to, um, like, these are the dates of your show run. I've got, like, I did a show, I think in 2017 at summer works where I was like, I need like another six months, but yeah. the presentation oh, yeah. is now. And I mean, in those situations, at least it's a works in progress kind of like, uh, test testing an idea out scenario, mm -hmm. but but that scares me for the future. Like, what if a big presenter's like, hey, I want to put your work on stage. And mm -hmm. yeah, what we put out into the world is challenging. But then I'm like, Pina Bausch must have made really shitty works. Like, she must have made some <laughs> or like, like, yeah, really you just don't hear works. about those we ones. We don't know them. Yeah. They don't tour. Yeah. We never saw them. Right. I have to constantly <laughs> remind myself of that. I'm like, yeah. you're so early in your career compared to We're the young. people that yeah. you look up to yeah. that you can't. You have to remind yourself that you can't be making what they're making now because yeah. I think there's like an excellent Ira Glass quote about that that like Kylie Thompson recently posted. Yeah. And if we we should go back and look at it, but it's like the fact of the matter is that you're gonna make shitty work. Yeah, yeah, you're and like, it's okay. Yeah, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. Like I learned so much from the works that I've made that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. Probably more than I learned from the works that I was like really happy with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the works that you don't like or that you made that you didn't like? Yeah, I did a show called Paths and I was trying out a lot of really new things for me. I wanted it to be, um, I wanted the choreography to exist in loops. And the idea was that people would wander through a maze and encounter different movement vignettes along the way. And they could like choose to stay and watch something or they could like move on and watch something else. Mm -hmm. So the way that I structured the piece was that it was like 30 minutes of material that repeated over and over again. And people had like 20 minutes in the maze to wander and do whatever they wanted. But some of the material was like very crafted and very set. Some of the material was structured improvs to get people from one place to another. Some of the material was literally just like traveling from like solo point A to solo point B in like a interesting way. And then there was, so there were like duets and solo moments, mm -hmm. like some duets choreographed, some duets structured improv, some solos set, some solos not set. And I just found that there's something about losing the control of what you're showing the audience. I realized that somebody's experience of that piece could have been all of the transition moments. And I started uh, to ask myself, like, is the experience the same? Does it have the same weight? Right. And I also, like, because of the venue situation, I couldn't rehearse inside the maze. Where was so it? Can I ask? It was at uh, Artscape Young Place oh, in yeah. one of their flex studios. So, like, I would rehearse with the dancers and I'd tape out the shape of the maze. Right. The pathways. Yeah. yeah but... As soon as the walls went up, everything changed. Like the movement that I had seen in the studio, sitting at the front, watching it at the back of the space, all of a sudden became like claustrophobic mm -hmm. in these confined spaces. Right. And yeah. I didn't have enough time to address that in my like setup tech. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there were, there were things where I was like, oh, like now I know that if I was to do something like this again, I would like find a space where we could rehearse in the maze structure. Cause it's like site specific. It's, yes. like, it's totally yeah. site specific. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it, like, it was a really cool idea. Like I'm, 
I'm really intrigued in the idea of the piece. I just didn't think that the execution of it, like it, it again just needed more time. I needed like another six months to, <laughs> right. to develop it and explore what it meant. And also like to see what it meant to have movement be really intimate and like some movement, when you get really close up to it, all becomes flaily because that's all you can see. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like crafted these like beautiful architectural moments and these like tender touches, but when you're so close to it, you can't yeah. see it because I don't know perspective. perspective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Sleep No More? I haven't. Yeah, but everyone's like, you need to go to New York and go see it, and I'm like, yeah. yes, I need to go see it. <laughs> yes, so I'm very lucky because I've had the privilege of seeing that show twenty zillion times. Wow. <laughs> My sister's in it. Amazing. So the first time I saw it, I like yeah. only saw the transitions, mm. and it wasn't until Ginger like told me where to be at certain times, or like they would just like take me. Yeah that I like really started appreciating it because yeah. you get lost and you just don't see anything and you can't see the story. And you lose interest. Like I thought that it would be nice for audiences yeah. to be able to choose if they wanted to stay and right. watch something right. or like leave and find something else. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, maybe, maybe you're giving too much choice. Like people might not it's know what to yeah. do. And it's like, how do you prepare audiences to see that kind of work? That was another question that I asked myself. Because I had this like big, long list of things that I told audiences to make them feel safe. Yeah. But I didn't give them any directions on how to like engage with the performance. Right. And mm. I was like, maybe... Did you want them to engage with the need. performance in the sense that... Besides watching or what other... Like, the performers did ask them to do things. Okay. Like, there was participation. Mm-hmm. It was all like consensual you had to ask and then an audience would either like take or say yes or no Mm -hmm. um I also like I had flashlights where if a person was feeling uncomfortable they could put a the flashlight on the floor and the performers would move away from them like Mm -hmm. it was very clear Mm -hmm. what like who had control and also the performers like we had the conversation around um if a stranger comes into the space and starts touching you, like, what do you do? Like, them. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I told, I basically told the audience members, like, you can't touch a performer unless they like offer to engage with you and then you can reciprocate right. or you can say no. And did right. you have security at all? We had me wandering through the maze, mm-hmm. um, like there in case anything happened. And we also had like the, the, they, I basically said, if you're in a moment of stress, shine your flashlight on the ceiling and I will come find you and like remove you from the space. Mm -hmm. So like security in a way, but it was also like a small room. It was probably like the size of this Mm -hmm. area. So it wasn't big. Yeah. I mean, in my dream, that maze would have been huge. Yeah. Like giant, but again, funding, renting spaces, money, time yeah right that was kind of what was available did anything happen where you had to like help no nothing bad happened um we Summerworks that year had made it so that every show had to be wheelchair accessible mm-hmm. so we made the maze wheelchair accessible and it had to be like everything had to be three like all of the passageways had to be three feet wide right. for a wheelchair to pass through and we had one person come through in a mobility device and I like my heart stopped and I was like oh I had tested the maze out in a wheelchair before the performance to make sure that like everything was good but there were yeah there were things that I also learned about that like backing up in the maze Mm -hmm. is hard because there were dead ends so like Mm. you get to a dead end and there isn't actually enough room to to turn around around, so you have to like back up so there were like little things that I, and I like approached the woman who attended after the show and I was like, how was that for you? Like, this is new for me. If you're like willing to share some of your opinions, I would love to know Mm -hmm. what that felt like. And her response was, I felt like I was in the way of the performers. Mm. I was like, that's really interesting. But I also got that response from people that like weren't in mobility devices. Right. I felt like I was in people's way. And I was like, huh, like that's interesting. It's also so Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. sorry, but like also, because the problem that they have in Shanghai with Sleep No More is like completely different than the problem that they have so in New York with Sleep No More. Because 
I've like been there when the performers have had issues with people like getting too close to them and they have to get like a little bit aggressive and like they do like tons of workshops, but in Shanghai they get like in New York, they get crazy sometimes, but they at least offer you like some space like this. But in the Shanghai show, it's like people are there to the performers. Like they don't have any personal space really. So like a lot of, a lot of dancers won't do that show for very long. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Which but is, I think this like, I'm just saying it was very Canadian for people to yeah, think that because anywhere like else you would never oh, you'd never really depending on where you are in certain regions, I think it depends yeah. how people feel. Yeah, I think like audience engagement is really interesting to me and the like the ethics around audience engagement are really mm-hmm. interesting to me. Like who has the power? How do you make both parties feel safe like are the performers safe are the audiences safe who's more important and like Mm -hmm. there's all of these questions that I found myself asking but again had wished that I could have had more like test audiences right and like Mm -hmm. test audiences are great but they're also usually your friends and your friends are going to behave the way that they think that they should behave right they're they're not actually yeah yeah, Yeah. they're not actually (laughs) the best test audiences yeah but yeah, no, I was lucky that like nothing from that perspective went wrong. But ultimately, I found that the way I had imagined the experience was very different than how the experience actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I learned so much from that from that show, and it wasn't like a failure. No, but right. I just wasn't. I didn't have that sense of like, oh wow, I'm so proud of like what I've done. I was like, oh my god, I've learned so much, <laughs> which is great. Like, I think both are really valuable, especially as emerging artists. Like, mm-hmm. do you think you're still an emerging artist, or do you think you're an artist now? Yeah, I mean, no, sir. I, I think I'm an emerging artist. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I just hear from. I'm sorry, that was just, it was like a lot of people that I talk to now are like, "Well, I'm done. When am I gonna stop being emerging? Like, when yeah. am I gonna be done oh, emerging? Right. I'm emerged." You know, <laughs> so <Yeah>. can like. <laughs> I mean, I founded my company in 2015. Like, it's only been three years. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I think I've. I've done a lot and I'm proud of what I have accomplished, what I have done and mm-hmm. like the opportunities that I have received, but I definitely see myself as emerging. I think, I don't know. I think you can be emerging your entire career as your interests change. Mm-hmm. I think like the Canada council says 10 years, you can be emerging for 10 years and then you're and a big career all. artist. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have so long to wait, but but I don't mind. Like I, I bring in outside eyes to all of my creative processes and I like, I reach out to senior artists or artists that I admire and like always ask for support. And Mm. like, I hope that that always continues. I hope that even as I'm a like mid career artist, I'm still asking people that I admire to give me feedback. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be so encompassed in your own bubble that you don't, don't receive feedback. Don't want feedback. Yeah. never change or do anything different. And like the questions that you, you don't ask that somebody's like, Hey, have you thought of this? And you're like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> right. Thank God you said something. Cause I never would have seen that in my work. I never yeah. would have thought that about my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of funding, mm-hmm. just having a, like a look at your website and all your projects with all of the mm-hmm. lapels on the bottom. Um, to me, it looks like you're successful with funding. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting. Cause I, it took me, um, three years to get a grant. It took me three years of rejections to get my first grant. And something that like, I really believe in is being able to pay artists and being able to pay artists like appropriate fees. That's something that I like wholeheartedly will always follow. So I'm somebody that won't pursue a project until it has funding associated with mm-hmm. it. Okay. Um, so what you don't see on that website is the like hundred rejection letters that right. I've received <laughs> over time. Right. Because I mean, like when I first got out of school, my friends and I, like we worked differently. We started a thing called the research exchange where there were four of us and we each got to guide a creative process and the other people were our interpreters and we kind of like the garage Mm -hmm. we use it as an energy exchange just to like feel like we were making something Mm -hmm. and like in that circumstance 
I like it was fine that none of us were getting paid, but yeah. professionally, especially under like my go the go to company, which was founded in 2015 because I got a grant mm-hmm. to make my first work. Um, yeah, that's something that I I don't think I'll ever change is the fact that like. I won't start a project until there's funding attached to it. But that, again, like, Mm -hmm. I have so many heartbreaking (laughs) stories. You didn't get the grant. Yeah. Yeah, like, I still don't think I've gotten an OAC dance grant ever. Like, I've just never Hmm. been successful. And I've applied so many times. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, funding is tricky. And you never know. And it's heartbreaking to feel like you've put something really like stellar together and you still get no. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think the hardest part about being an artist that no one ever talked about is the rejection, like the rejection from going to auditions, the rejection from Mm -hmm. grants, the rejection from festival opportunities, the rejection from residencies, like rejection from your peers. peers. Like you just, you hear no so often. And that's not to say like, yes, I, I have received grants and I think that that's like, I'm so grateful (laughs) to be able to pay people and to be able to bring people together. And I also take on, like I take that as a responsibility too, to like create really great working environments to like collaborate with people that also have the same values as I do and to Mm -hmm. continue to perpetuate this idea that like we need to pay ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I probably pay myself the least <laughs> out of everyone still to make yeah. a project feasible and a project happen, but that's Which you think a choice. would be such an obvious thing as someone who feels that they need to pay artists, but it's not. Come yeah. On. A lot of people pay themselves a lot of shares sometimes, and it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, I think if we, like if we expect this art form to continue, we have to value it. Yeah. And like, I get it and I get, like I can see my peers getting their friends to work for them for like really like low rates yeah. or for nothing at all, just so that they have something to make and to show. And for me, like, I just, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to like move our profession forward so that I can have conversations with people that work in other fields Mm -hmm. and know that I'm paying myself to do this. And it's just as valuable as you paying yourself to be a lawyer. Like, right. That's so important and integral, but it also like, it slows me down a little bit. I also like, I don't make group works because group works aren't necessarily like they're feasible? not affordable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not feasible. Yeah. And I mean, totally. I'm lucky because I love intimate work and I love like duets and trios and mm-hmm. quartets and like solos. But, but yeah, I'm also like, I also know that I'm potentially holding myself back from other possibilities because I'm paying people cata mm-hmm. rates. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, if anybody's curious on what those are, they're on the website. They're on the website. <laughs> you can look. Hey, your artist. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, have you noticed the funding change in the last few years? On like where yeah. it's being allocated, who it's being allocated to? Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I always say that I feel like I've been in the right place at the right time in terms of like the grant world. There's been a shift on like bringing new voices, bringing diverse voices to the forefront because we're having a national conversation around like privilege and Mm -hmm. power and like Mm -hmm. power structures and the art specifically, like who's, who's had access and who hasn't had access. And because I am a like female identifying visible minority, I think that my voice is part of what people are interested in supporting. And that's something that I like, it's a situation, it's the way it is. And for me, I try to use that as a way to, again, like give opportunity to people that haven't had the opportunities before. Mm -hmm. Like my mandate has always been to, to, yeah, give voice to people that feel underrepresented. And I think, 
the fact that like I am a part of a community that is having more support given to them now to kind of like level the playing field that's the point of my work too Mm -hmm. so it feels like it feels good yeah yeah have you ever had any people um any backlash about that from people? Oh yeah. yeah. Like I have friends that are like, Oh, like you, you only get funding because of the color of your skin or like, Oh, you're getting, friends telling this? yeah. They're like, Oh, you have, well, <laughs> like not like friends, friends, okay. but like acquaintances <laughs> or like, <laughs> or there's this energy around like, Oh, like you're lucky. You have more opportunities than I do. And I'm like, well, let's unpack that statement. Like, right. Right. Does really? that mean? Let's have a conversation around yeah. that. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. look at, let's look at the history. Let's not just look at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's yeah. see what you're saying and what that actually means. And this idea that like somebody might feel like they're losing something, um, because somebody is like finally stepping up to be at the same level that they are. Like mm-hmm. th- this is a metaphor that I really love that, that yeah, by having one person like step up to where you are at, if you feel like you're losing something where actually you're not, you're just seeing that people are joining you mm-hmm. on your stare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, that breaks my heart that it's, it's hard to hear that like people think that I'm getting opportunities only because I am a diverse artist. I'm like, I like, I think that my work is meaningful and I think that my work is like challenging notions about the world. And I think that I have like a craft and Mm -hmm. like, I think that, yeah. So people that, yeah, it's hard to hear those things, but yeah. Also like I find that people that think, in that like zero sum kind of mindset like if Mm -hmm. you if you get something successful or if you have a moment in your career where you're being pushed ahead that it's taking away from me right and Peggy Baker said this to me once like well to like a group of people not no like a good thing Um, (laughs) no she she (laughs) said like when one person succeeds we all succeed like when one person from our community succeeds we all succeed and I was like Peggy Baker, you're the most beautiful thing in the world. You're so nice. But I just think that that sentiment is so true. Like, why? But again, it's it's hard. It's really hard not to be jealous. Yeah. It's really hard. Especially in a very small community. Yeah. And we're all friends and we're all trying to get the same money and we're all Mm -hmm. trying to get the same jobs. And I feel jealousy too. And I don't know how to deal with those feelings. And I have no tools to like have conversations with the people that I care about when I see them moving ahead and I'm just like, uh, why not me? Yeah. Why yeah, not me? Right. But also like so great for you. Yeah. But how, like, how do we stay <laughs> humble? So great. So great, great for you. And I'm oh over God. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like things, things ebb and flow. Like I go through phases where I don't have work and I'm like, how am I going to pay rent? And Mm -hmm. I get really scared. (laughs) Yeah. And then I have moments where I'm like, wow, this is amazing. People want to work with me. And I think that's like figuring out how, how to make this lifestyle work for you. Like I, I do film and editing on the side to bridge the gaps between creative work. It's Mm -hmm. something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it's similar, but also different. And we all like, yeah, we all have the things that we do on the side. Like some people teach, some people, um, like some people teach dance, some people teach fitness, some people serve. Like there's, there's all the some things people that do artists all of it. do <laughs> to make this life work. And we do it because we're passionate about mm-hmm. the art form. And do you ever struggle with the balance of that? Yeah. I'm like a total workaholic. I don't, I'm, I'm actually really bad at taking time off and saying no. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like you're on that. <laughs> I just like f- feeling like I'm letting someone down is the worst feeling for me. Yeah. And like, I am learning now how to say no and how to prioritize things that like matter to me more, but it's still like, it still comes down to the fact that like we live in a really expensive city. The cost of living is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. we have to we have to survive. Yep. So saying no is also like a question of, can I afford not to do this? Right. And it's shitty. Catch 22 Super of that is, <laughs> is saying no coming from a place of 
privilege because there's people out there asking, yeah. oh, why aren't I being asked or why aren't I being yeah. this? So also not saying no, you don't also think about like, oh, like, do I have time for it? Do I have this? But like, am, am I going to feel bad for this choreographer if I say yeah. no to them? But also like, what about the people that aren't being asked? Are they going to be... Yeah mad at me yeah. and like <laughs> so many weird there's layers. Just uh. emotions from so many different forces coming at you making you feel a certain way about saying yes or no or you know it's hard yeah I always say like I wish I had a trust fund yeah <laughs> like <laughs> it would God, just yes. be so nice to not have to worry about all that and actually say yes to the things that you really want to do yeah. and that's something that like it's my life goal right now is to just say yes to the things that I really want to do and to, to not, to not let what I think other people are going to think affect my judgment. But it's like, it's hard. It's a work in progress. I fail all the time. Like a while ago, I was like, I'm going to make sure that I have two days off a week. And like, here I am working like two weeks and there's no days off. And I was like, <laughs> Aria, like you said to yourself, you weren't going to do this. Why is your schedule full again? Like, yeah. oh, right. How do you deal Ugh. with that from uh, your partner's perspective? I actually recently left my partner. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. We were together for eight years and I, I chose to end the relationship. And I mean, like I can talk to my experience before that happened he was also a workaholic and he was also a contract worker. So it worked because we both understood our lifestyle mm-hmm. and we'd spend time with each other when we could spend time with each other. But now it's interesting, actually, now that I'm single again, I'm realizing how much his support helped me do some things mm-hmm. like picking me up from rehearsal when I get off at 10 p.m. in his truck and, like, going grocery shopping with a vehicle yeah. and, like... Having someone to complain to that isn't necessarily an artist and yeah. just can tell you that it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, like, the, yep. the support of a partner yeah. through all of that was really special and it helped. And I'm, like, realizing now... Yeah, how much how much I relied on that in the past eight years, and now being like on my own again for the first time, I'm like, okay, like right. I have to readjust <laughs> a little bit. Like things are gonna be a little bit different, mm-hmm. and like that's okay. But now things, everything takes a little bit longer because it's just me, and I'm at the beginning of figuring out what that means in terms of like giving myself time off. Because mm-hmm. now my days off, I'm like, oh my god, I need to go grocery shopping. <laughs> and laundry, then, yeah. grocery shopping. Oh my god, laundry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, little things, but but we can do it. I think it's it's again just finding finding what works for you. Like for me, even I'm at like I'm bad at taking time off. Even when I have a day off, I'm like, oh, but emails. I'm like, oh, but like admin. And I'm like, maybe you just need to like actually take a day off. But we're not taught to do that. And our community doesn't um, support that really. Like, no, it does not. Yeah. Toronto is, I'm finding this Toronto very challenging for, yeah, like you said, not allowing people to take time off. And like, you're supposed to be accessible all the time. Like I've turned my phone off for like an hour. I'm going to turn it on and I'm probably going to have like, 10 text messages with like people that want something from me and Mm. like five emails with like more things that people want from me and like a schedule to respond Mm -hmm. to. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, we're, and in, if I wasn't sitting here this hour, I would be going through all of those things, but that's constant. That's like from, I don't know, 9am till 11pm every single day. But it's also like the idea of like preaching every, all of that on social media that I find is really hard. Like yeah. people constantly with social media, yeah. you know, showing people how hard they need to, they are working because they feel yeah. that they need to show yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. For me, like social media has become a business tool. Yeah. Like my Instagram account is a trying to get people to understand that like my company is doing things. Yeah. (laughs) Like B, if I have a show, like find out about it and come, but then it starts to become really impersonal because all I'm posting is about my creative work. And that's not the only thing that I am. Like Mm -hmm. I am also, I have other interests and I have like other people in my life, but 
but yeah, like social media as an artist start starts to feel like it's literally just a business tool. And I'm just like, oh, it's so ingenuine. Yeah. Or it's like a constant, like, humble brag. Ugh. Yeah, like, oh, look at me. If I, I, like, have, yeah, hashtag, we talk about this a lot, but, like, hashtag blessed, hashtag booked and blessed, hashtag hustle, hashtag this, hashtag. The struggle is real. Yeah. The humble brags on social media yeah. are so, like, deteriorating for people that, are following you and I understand that you're posting it because you need to maybe get that thumbs up and get that little boost of confidence. But like the amount of people that you're affecting by posting a humble brag on social media is so much more like yeah. it's it's so hard for like other especially as artists because yeah. everybody's following each other everyone's this yeah. everyone's that oh, look what this person's doing look what this yeah. person's not doing look at this yeah mm. and you feel the pressure to like engage and like and to, like because of the reciprocal nature yeah. of our community because it is small and incestuous and like what would you just for conversation's sake what would you classify like a humble brag if someone's like reposting work or reposting so not like work like like i said i think like advertisement behind your own work is Mm -hmm. that's people need to be aware that's different but i think like in terms of people going like oh you know talking about like facts that i guess Mm -hmm. you know facebook facts Mm -hmm. so like haha this funny thing happened to me blah 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 that but like this funny thing happened to me where i almost booked an edition and i became this person and then (laughs) i booked this right Ha 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 ha. Like, <laughs> is it ha 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 ha? Or did you just, You're just try trying and to say, like, I got this awesome opportunity? Yeah. Right. But in a, yeah, in the backhanded way, like, I would love to see somebody post, like, I just went to an audition and I got the role. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. Like, that, I'm like, oh my God, I want to support right. you. But when yeah. it's like, oh, like, it's the, yeah, yeah it's the way like, it's mm. worded and it's the way that people go about yeah. it, I think. Because mm. you also want people to be proud of what they're yeah. doing and want to yeah. share it, right? That's yeah. fine. Yeah. 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 But it's sometimes... It's like the tone. I think sure. the tone, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I try to be very aware of what I post in terms of, like, my stories. Because I feel like that's the... A lot of people... That's, like, get where it gets misconstrued often. Mm-hmm. Um, more in this past year about, like, mm-hmm. posting, like, things I'm doing or something like that. Yeah. Um, I just think that... It's, sometimes it's very, very hard, especially if you're mm-hmm. not necessarily working right now as an artist and you go on and see people doing that. You're like, oh. flush the toilet. That's yeah, where I am. Yeah, social media is weird. <laughs> it's hard. It adds pressure. Yeah. It adds expectation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It shows you what you think you should be doing, even if you aren't doing it. And then yeah. it also shows this like fake yeah. fakeness where you're like no you didn't just wake up looking like that no. or like I know that filter I use that filter all the time oh, yeah. I also love that it, by the way Instagram has it shows that you're using a filter now yes. it used to oh, not really? yeah yeah. it's oh, like great. do you want it's like a little I think it's an advertisement because it'll yeah. be like made with X filter try it here so you click on it and like takes oh, you but like sneaky. now everybody so if know. they're posting yeah oh that's funny you know I have no idea that's great Instagram's being a shady bitch. (laughs) Um, Aria, on that note, Mm -hmm. is there anything you want to promote right now? You have a show coming up this time next year, you said. Yeah, In the Abyss is my first full-length piece, which is really exciting. And it's looking at um, the scientific fact and beautiful metaphor that we are all made of stardust. And yeah, just trying to like find what what is the thing that we all have in common and how can we all relate to one another. Which is kind of a departure from the work that I've made in the past. I've focused a lot on like the heavy, dirty, gritty, raw subject matter. And this is the first piece where I'm starting to embrace the idea of hope and optimism and like getting us to a place where we can move forward mm-hmm. from the darkness. And that's really exciting to me. But um, I'm showing a work in progress of In the Abyss at the Wasega Czech Begins to Dance Festival that Native Earth hosts in November. Um, otherwise, no, like I, yeah, I'm not producing anything this year, which feels really, really good. And I'm a part of other people's projects, which is something that in the past hasn't been as much a part of my creative life. And I'm, yeah, I'm just starting now to interpret for other people and find out like what my role is giving to someone else's creative process and that's also really exciting 
Great. Is being an artist fucking killing you? <laughs> <laughs> being an artist is killing me. Not really, though. <laughs> I'm still here. I don't know. I think, like, we... Um, as much as we complain, like, there's nothing else that I would rather do. There's nothing else that I could ever see myself doing. And I really think that our voices as artists in community and in society are so important. And if we can find, like any way to get through the bullshit that is this lifestyle, we need to try to do it because, yeah, we're valuable and we have a lot to offer society. So don't let it kill you. Keep fighting. Hmm. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> that was so nice. Thank you yeah. for coming. Go follow us on Instagram. Go follow Ari on Instagram at the Go-To Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, it's just the GoTo Company. Yeah. You can find more information on my website as well, gotocompany.org. Great. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>